Wait. So today sorry. we're going to be talking about cranes. Yeah. And so does anyone want to know, know kind of know what a crane is? Are they so a bird? If you want to say yeah. something, come up here. They are a bird. What do they look like? They have a long neck and they're tall. Hi, this is Elliot. And this is Lily with Cranes U Podcast, amplifying youth voices of environmental action from Bosque School. Before we get started, we'd like to acknowledge that Bosque School is on the ancestral and current homelands of the Pueblo and Tewa and Tewa people. Cranes U Podcast was started in New Mexico just before the arrival of the Sandhill Cranes. Every year, people await the arrival of the Sandhill Crane in the fall with bated breath and are sad to see them go in the spring. Due to their migratory patterns, the Sandhill Crane will see much of the Canada, U.S., and Mexico. In the winter months, they range from New Mexico, Texas, California, and even to Mexico. In the late spring and summer and early fall, they can be seen in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan with some sandhill cranes even migrating to Oregon, Idaho, and Canada and Alaska. Sandhill cranes truly see a great extent in North America. Like the sandhill crane, our podcast will also cover a large area of ground. Not only do sandhill cranes see a large part of North America, but they have also been a part of the ecosystem for millions of years. A crane fossil was found in Nebraska that was estimated to be around 10 million years old and is thought to be a close relative of the modern sandhill crane. The earliest confirmed remains of the sandhill crane are estimated to be around 2 million years ago. Giving both these dates, some scientists even estimate that the modern sandhill crane has been around for 6 million years. And not only have cranes have been a part of the ecosystem for millions of years, but they still are an active part of our ecosystem and environment, making sandhill cranes deeply intertwined in much of North America and the greater Rio Grande watershed, which is what inspired this podcast. Around mid-September in New Mexico, we begin to hear the loud, rattling trumpet calls of the sandhill crane. By far one of the most distinctive aspects of fall in the middle Rio Grande Valley and among one of the oldest living birds. Cranes are one of the most successful life forms and have outlasted millions of species. They have been on this earth since the Eocene, which was over 34 million years ago. Of the crane species, the sandhill crane is one of the most successful. Their migratory patterns range from Canada, Alaska, and even Siberia in the summer months. And then in the winter, they range all to the southwest, like New Mexico and Texas, and they even stretch into Mexico. These birds truly see a vast portion of North America and affect a great deal of people. These birds don't just affect avid bird watchers and biologists, they also affect our youngest generations too. We spoke to a kindergarten class in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who studied cranes and got to see them on a field trip. So today we're going to be talking about cranes. Yeah. And so does anyone want to know, know kind of know what a crane is? Yeah. Are they so a bird? If you want, if you want to say yeah. something, come up here. They are a bird. What do um, they look like? They have a long neck and they're tall. Ooh, yeah. Are they taller than you? Does anyone else want to talk about cranes? Ooh, okay. What's their name? My name or their name? Their name. Um, I think. Sandhill cranes, but they have all sorts of different names, you know? There's a lot of them. 
so there's a lot of people that see cranes, right? Because do they live in Albuquerque all the time? No. Where do they go? I don't know. Do they think they go far away or do you think they stay close? They go They go southwest. Yeah. So um during the summer they go north. Oh to yeah. And then during the winter they come here and stay with us. But between that t time, a lot of people see them and so cranes have a lot of different names for a lot of different people. Um, do you know what cranes do when they're away in the summer? They eat. <laughs> what do you think cranes eat? Do you want to take a guess? My guess is maybe corn. Yeah, I knew that because when I went to see the cranes, you know what? What? There was a bunch of corn. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Do you think they eat bugs? Mm-mm. <laughs> Do you want to eat bugs? No. <laughs> I want to say something. They do a dance that to, to, to find a mate. Ooh. Yeah. Really, they do. It's like they go high on their chest and say, no. If you guys were a crane, what would you do? I would do a dance to find a mate. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I just eat. I just eat a bunch of corn. Mhm. Mm do you too. like corn? Me too. <laughs> Me too. Me three. They're tall and they have a long neck. Yeah, I just eat so much corn. Mhm. Mm Ooh, that's a lot of corn. <laughs> If you guys were a crane and could fly anywhere, where would you guys want to go? Explorer. Oh, oh, it's so fun there. For them to Do you think cranes have teeth? Can any of you guys uh, act what they smell like? I mean, I mean. <laughs> That's a very good crane sound. <laughs> Can you do a crane sound? <laughs> That's a very good crane sound. That's a good crane sound. Do you want to do a crane sound? Throughout their vast range, cranes affect a wide variety of ages, from kindergartners to high school students and everywhere in between. Alyssa is a middle school student at Bosque School who competed and won the State Science Olympiad with her project about ornithology. One of the birds she studied was the sandhill crane. Hello, I'm Alyssa and I'm in 8th grade. Okay, um, so could you tell me a bit about your Science Olympiad project? Uh, so I was working on, I've always been interested in birds since I was probably five, but then I didn't really like them anymore. I was more into bats and such. Mm -hmm. But then recently, especially in seventh grade, like my passion awoken was awakened again. <laughs> so what did you do in your project? Like what was it about? Uh, it was basically memorizing a bunch of North American birds. There were about 
200 or so if I remember correctly mm -hmm. and it was mostly frantic research but I definitely <laughs> learned a lot. Mm -hmm. I feel like frantic research is kind of the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've just always admired the way that they take turns like leading each other and breaking the wind for their fellow flock mates. Um, so you did pretty well at the Science Olympiad in Ornithology. Tell us about that. Um, so we had been studying for a couple months. Um, so you won the state competition, right? Yes. What was the competition like? It was basically asking a lot of questions based around identification and what they eat and such mm -hmm. and I knew a lot about that basically from little google searches okay. because I saw a bird that I didn't know. Sure. Yeah, did it, did cranes fit into that at all? Uh, sandhill cranes were not on the list that we had to memorize but whooping cranes were. Okay. Have sandhill cranes affected you at all personally? Just growing up in New Mexico or seeing well, them? My birthday is in the fall, so that's when they migrate in. So it always yeah. is kind of like a birthday present in some way. Yeah, for sure. So you've talked about um, migratory patterns and um, identification. How does that work for cranes? Uh, well, I don't know. I can identify them based on their red spot on the top of their head and not like the triangular shape of the whooping crane, mm -hmm. which I guess is pretty non-existent in the wild now. Oh, yeah. And they're like rusty wings. Can you tell us more about that? You said the whooping crane is not Yeah, existent. the whooping crane used to live around here. And there's actually a picture of them above the black box. Oh, okay. And they had there were two flocks like that were wild, and then one got wiped out in a hurricane. And then I'm pretty sure the last flock was taken in, and is no longer in the wild. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit more about like identification and kind of like what like whooping cranes eat, and just a bit more about those. Well, the sandhill cranes for identifying them, the red spot, it's pretty interesting. It's not feathers, it's just like a bald oh. spot on their head. Okay. And I was, like, I heard that their blood can go up there, and that's, I guess, why it's red. And I was wondering if it kind of works like a chicken's comb does to cool them off. Mm-hmm. Going beyond middle and high school students, and even beyond New Mexico, college students in Nebraska have done amazing work with cranes. Um, so I was wondering if we could start off with you guys like introducing yourselves and talking maybe about like how your work is like tied in with cranes or just like kind of what you're doing right now. Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Nicole Mittman. I'm a senior here at the University of Nebraska at Kearney. Um, and I've done a little bit of undergrad research. UNK is really big on getting undergraduates um, research experience. Um, and so I have done sort of a small um, research project on migrating sandhill cranes as they come through the area. Um, we had some preliminary uh, data from my research mentor that showed that um, during rainy weather, the cranes highly preferred um, 
cornfields over any other type of field. And so last summer, or last summer, last spring, I mean, um, I did a few counts um, kind of by the Platte River. Um, one count during a really sunny, warm day and one count during a cold, wet, rainy day um, and saw this huge discrepancy in the ratios of cranes that were feeding in the cornfields on the rainy day. There were just way more in the cornfields. And on the sunny day, um, they were really utilizing more the, the grasslands. Um, and so that was just again, just some preliminary data, uh, not really a full-blown experiment or anything. Um, but that's what I was working on last semester or last spring, and I'm hoping to um, do a little bit more data get gathering this spring. Nicole and I are roommates and good friends, so my story is <laughs> pretty similar to hers. <laughs> but I'm Phoebe Dunbar. I am a senior wildlife biology major here at UNK. Um, also doing a lot of undergraduate research a little bit with the cranes. Um, and then so, sort of on the sidelines of Nicole's project there to help out, but um, hopefully more this year than last year. I also helped um, collect data and edit a paper that just got sent to the final edit, whatever. It's in the process of being published. Almost submitted. <laughs> published. Um, with the Rose Sanctuary here. Um, and that was a project on there's power lines that cross the river where the cranes roost um, overnight. And so I got to go sit out on a blind one night a week while the cranes were coming through and observe and record data on their reactions to the power lines. We put UV lights on the lines so that the birds could see it, but it wouldn't be a big disruption to people. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been my main like research with cranes. But I also grew up in the area, and so just the migration has been something that's always kind of been in my backyard. Mm -hmm. But it feels like home. <laughs> Every year, 400,000 to 600,000 sandhill cranes, which is 80% of all cranes on the planet, congregate along an 80-mile stretch on the Platte, Central Platte River. Do you guys have like anything you want to say about how like cranes have like affected you personally or like any like specific stories that you want to share about them or anything like that? My dad is a avid bird watcher. Um, so I just remember as a kid, like driving through on dirt roads near the cornfields um, and birding with him. I think we saw a whooping crane one time when I was young that he, he found, you know, in the flock with, with sandhill cranes. And now being at school in Kearney, which is the Santel Crane capital of the world, again, it's just kind of a, uh, a staple of this town and this area. And it's interesting that <laughs> I think a lot of people don't know about it. Non-wildlife people, it kind of, I don't know, it, maybe if you're not connected in that area, it's not something people know about as much, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's definitely true because I'm, I'm a wildlife person even, and I grew up only an hour and 15 minutes away from here. Mm -hmm. And um, where I grew up, we didn't have the migration. I would see like a scattered by the river. Right, so. I wasn't by the river, and I would sometimes see like a scattering of them in the cornfields if I was, you know, driving on the interstate out this way during the spring. But I really had no idea the scale of the migration growing up, and um, it wasn't until I was 
I think a senior in high school, I had to do the shadowing project for an English class. And we got to choose whoever we wanted to shadow. We had to um, get a ton of hours under them, really uh, like interrogate them about their, <laughs> their job. And so I chose to come out here actually to Rowe Sanctuary. And this was before I had really decided exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go into conservation or into the environmental studies, but um, I wasn't for sure set on wildlife yet. But after the shadowing project where I shadowed a biologist at Rose Sanctuary during the crane migration, um, that was the first time I had ever seen, you know, tens of thousands, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of cranes flying in um, in the evening, you know, during sunset. And it was just like, this really magical experience for me and I think you know that was that was a turning point where I was like I am sure now that I want to go into wildlife um, as a career so yeah I mean uh, the sandhill cranes have been I think really important to me and I, I didn't think about it that way until you know you asked that question but <laughs> really they've really been an important uh, species yeah um, like, other than, like, personally, like, how do you think they're, like, important to, like, the ecosystem and, like, ecological impact and that stuff? I was just having a conversation with my friends a couple nights ago about, oh, our conversation was all over the place. At the time, we're talking about rivers, I think, um, and about, like, how with so many dams and, like, agriculture uses of the water in the Platte River, more upstream, how with no flooding, um, people have to make sure like the saplings don't grow up on the sandbars to keep the river open for the cranes. Um, and there's just a lot of conservation that goes into it because it's such a bottleneck. Like if the cranes had hundreds of miles of rivers that they migrated through, it wouldn't be such a big deal. But because they only come through this I don't know, 50 mile, 30 mile stretch, 50 mile stretch of river. Yeah. Right. It's really important to keep this habitat for them. And we've talked in classes about how Nebraska is the only state on the flyway where cranes are protected, like from hunting. And so here they're like sacred, <laughs> you know, no <laughs> one would touch them. In other states, it's just another bird that you can shoot. Mm -hmm. um, so there's kind of a different culture here about it, but also, yeah. I think it's an important part of the habitat here just because of how constrained their migration pathway is. It is interesting though, because with uh, the onset of agriculture in this region, you know, it hasn't exactly been um, a, a benefit for a lot of species, but it has been for That's the true. sandhill crane. And actually, I think there's evidence that there's more sandhill cranes now than historically because of how much they benefit from uh, waste corn left over in the agricultural fields and so they're not they're not doing too poorly um, mm -hmm. a lot of this um, habitat work that goes goes into the plat though is not only for the sandhill cranes but especially for the the whooping cranes that migrate with them because they are uh, endangered and so and so, yeah, I, I think it's also cool. Um, I mean, just in this little area, there's the, the Rose Sanctuary and the Crane Trust are both um, have like nature centers um, and a big part of their 
like income is from crane tours in the season when people come from a long way away and pay a lot of money to go out on the river in the morning or the evening and watch the cranes. Um, but it's neat how that one just kind of like advertises this place and as a tourism opportunity, but also just funds these really cool places that have trails where I can go hike and bird in the summer um, and places locally that care a lot about conservation and get to share that with people with like kids summer camps um, or other outreach other opportunities and social media and so the cranes are a pretty central part of both of those organizations um, but it also is a door to a lot of other things hiking and outdoor education and conservation and all those things. That's a really good point to bring up about the tourism that the cranes bring in. I I believe it's the biggest um, ecotourism event that happens in the state of Nebraska. I mean, I don't know really? what else would come even close. <laughs> um, it brings in, I volunteered before out at, at Rose Sanctuary during the crane season, and they have like these maps on the wall where you can pin the state <laughs> you're from, but they also have a world map. And you wouldn't believe the like, number of countries that people will travel from just to see the sandhill crane migration it's really pretty incredible and so it's you know it's not only a beautiful event ecologically but it's also like kind of important to this area economically just for the tourism it brings in during the spring that's really cool um like going back to like their migration patterns like how much of like the u.s do like cranes see i know there's roosting spots in the winter in Texas, where's the Aransas? Texas. That's like the refuge that has all the open cranes. Oh, yeah. I think that's eastern Texas. Yeah, or maybe even Texas. like Alabama. But they'll go into Mexico too, right? Yeah. And I don't know if they're farther south than that, though. But they're pretty, they're, what's important to know is they're pretty spread out um, during the winter and during the summer up in their breeding grounds. They'll be anywhere from Canada to Alaska. Alaska, yeah. Um, even to Siberia. And so, uh, at most other times of the year, their population is really spread out. But again, their migration uh, bottlenecks through this one tiny area of Nebraska. And they'll stop over here for like a few weeks, two to three weeks, probably. Each individual will stay. Mm -hmm. um, overall, the event here can start, you know, about now in mid-February and last until mid-April-ish. But the, the month of March is just really incredible to be here. It's it's like, I think the largest gathering of cranes in the world that yeah, happens so. is here, um, you know, right here at our small college town in Nebraska. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, so, like, is there anything else you want to, like, uh, tell me about cranes or that, like, I haven't asked? Is, like, there anything specific you want to mention? I don't know. We talked about a lot of different, like, areas that cranes impact which I didn't also like didn't realize I hadn't put it all in the right. same spot in my brain you know <laughs> until we were talking about it now I know I really have it like critically <laughs> thought about sandhill cranes too much but it's like a wildlife thing it affects like economy and tourism and kind of like the culture and oh I guess I guess one way that they also have affected me is I I like to paint 
kind of as a hobby, yeah. but also as like a little side business kind of. And um, I've actually painted a lot of sandhill cranes um, over the past few years living here in Kearney and like sold quite a few paintings of sandhill cranes. And I actually um, have put some paintings in this local nonprofit that will sell uh, sell products from small business owners in the area. And um, during the crane season, like I'll always have to bring them an extra, you know, extra stash of crane paintings. And so, yeah, that's just another way, I guess, sandhill cranes have infiltrated my life. I have a story too. Um, I, after high school, I was an exchange student for a year in Peru in South America. Um, and the program that I went with, it was like the tradition that you would make a little pin um, to give out to people that you met or other exchange students from different countries that had something about your home, you know, like a lot of people would do their, the flag of their country or like something that had something typical of their, of their culture, of their place of wherever they came from. And so I had one that I would give out that was like, I think she US flag, but the other one was, had a sandhill crane on it. Um, just cause yeah, that was something notable of where I was from. Um, this summer I worked on a trail crew with the forest service and I was working in West Yellowstone, Montana. And I did not realize that in that area, some of, there are some cranes up there, some sandhill cranes. And I have only really ever seen them, you know, in these huge flocks of silhouetted cranes, <laughs> with, you know, tens of thousands. And all you can hear is like the trumpeting of, of their call. But then I, I was up in Montana and I was like, is that, is that a crane in the field over there? And it was, it was like, it was so strange to see them individually. It was like, I appreciated them more as individuals instead of like, having to view them as this one big giant group, I was able to kind of watch this individual. And um, there was one day I spent inside of Yellowstone National Park and I was with my mom and we were just kind of watching this pair of sandhill cranes. And then in the grass beside them, I saw something stirring and they had little chicks. And I have hmm. never seen sandhill crane chicks before because they're not breeding or reproducing here when they're on the Platte River and so that was just like the coolest moment and they're in like this different plumage of feathers they're like really brown um, when they're up in in the Yellowstone ecosystem during the summer they're really brown but when they come through here they're this kind of ugly gray color <laughs> and so it was I don't know it was like I was seeing them in a whole new light this summer it was pretty cool Ultimately, cranes are a truly essential part of the New Mexico ecosystem and a marvel that is eagerly awaited by inhabitants of the Rio Grande Valley all year long. The idea for this podcast was born when sandhill cranes were beginning to make their flight south and finalized as the last birds left for summer. Their vast environmental impact and the sheer amount of land they get to see is what continually inspires us to tell stories. Keep an eye out for our next episodes and we hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening. This podcast is made possible thanks to Bosque School, an independent preparatory school challenging education in grades 6 through 12 since 1994. We would like to say a special thanks to Mr. Shaw and the Goodman Project. 
The Sabrin Goodman Youth Leadership and Envi the Environment Project, Responsible Action for Ecological Integrity, is committed to advocacy emphasizing the importance of students and others taking direct action to create a more sustainable human and environmental community. We would love to hear from you. Contact us at cranesupodcast at bosqueschool.org or find us on Instagram and Twitter. This episode was directed by Lily Lawrence and Elliot Patton with sound engineering by Imani Herndon and produced by Dan Shaw. Thank you for supporting Cranesview Podcast and we'll see you next time. We figured it out. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Woo! Woo! Let's go. <laughs>